You're listening to WCT.FM, talk radio like no other. God, I love the station. And good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. You are listening to The Supernatural Realm on WCET.FM, otherwise known as LateNightInTheMidlands.com. Well, tonight we have a returning guest. He's been on this show, I think, more more times than any of guests we had. But uh, Thomas Fusco, Chip, are you there, buddy? I sure am. Yeah, I, w- I was actually going to start off, Tim, by quoting a great author, because I'm inspired to make that quote. And the, the quote is, we're back, baby. And that great author is, coincidentally enough, uh, Thomas Fusco. And we are going to talk about his book, one of the best books ever written, especially for uh, our realm or anyone interested in science, physics, religion, paranormal, and how to put it all together in a very neat package in a phenomenal book called Behind the Cosmic Veil. Truly one of the best books we've ever read. Uh, I know I've read it. You've read it too, right there, Timmy? I got three copies of it. You've got three copies, yeah. I've read my one copy three times, so I guess we're even there. Yeah, it works out. (laughs) Yeah, no competing on street corners this week, you know, you and I. But, uh, yeah, boy, we're thrilled to have the great Thomas Fusco back here on Supernatural Realm Radio, Tim. Yeah, Tommy. I'm back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) See, that quote was right on. That's it. Right on on Mark. Beautiful. It's good to have you back, my friend. It's been a long time. Yeah, like Timmy said, I think you've been... Uh, a return guest here as many times as I've had kindness beyond the bail shows. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's been 83 of those. So you yeah, know. and he keeps coming back, Chip. Why? <laughs> I love it because because there's you know, I mean there is so much that we could talk about in yeah. regard to this phenomenal. Uh, I, I think artwork is a bit of a hyperbole, but not really because it is artwork. This book. Uh, Behind the Cosmic Veil, and and for uh, those of you listening in, you know, you can actually uh, check out the website CosmicVeil.com, Veil is V-E-I-L, CosmicVeil.com, and uh, not only can you get your own copy of the book, but they always have an excellent price on CosmicVeil.com for the book Behind the Cosmic Veil, and I, I don't think we could recommend it highly enough, Tim. No, I don't think so either. I got something to add to that, though, also. Oh, bring it. You can now find Supernatural Realm Radio on Discord. We have our own oh. chat room now. So. Did, oh, okay. Oh, I thought you meant if you wanted to disagree on something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you could find Supernatural Realm Radio. But you're talking about the chat site, Discord. Yes. But there's a not, not actual Discord, like you know. There's a chat room on Discord specifically for Supernatural Realm Radio. I sent all kind of invites wow. out, and uh, yeah, 
So if anybody has any questions, they could use the new Supernatural Realm Radio Discord chat room. So yeah, especially if they have questions and don't want to talk about what they had for lunch, you know, while they're listening to the show. Yeah, no Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't going to bring that up. Yeah, but yeah, but, yeah. So I, I think that's beautiful. Progress is a beautiful thing, brother. I, I am, I am so proud. And I sent uh, a a request to have our archives up on iHeartRadio as well. Wow. So we're working on that. I'm waiting to hear back from them. That's a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah. And and I'm sure they're listening because this is much more interesting than whatever they'd be playing at the time, which means that they absolutely should bring it on. I figured if they could have three three, you know, ladies that that uh, swear, you know, say all kind of nasty language on their podcast, you know, why not Supernatural Realm too, right? So. Right. Yeah. And we don't swear here because we love our friends at the FCC, you know. <laughs> They keep us on point, and at worst, we have at least one person listening at any given time, thanks to them, you know, so we hope to keep things lively and interesting without having to use language like that. That's right. So, so Thomas, what have you been up to? The government always listens when I'm on the air. (laughs) (laughs) There is that, too. That's why we have you on so much. See, that doubles our listenership automatically at very worst, you know. So but of course, my, my my sisters aren't listening in, so oh. that means, that, well, you know, well, that's, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> they they on their way home, you know, actually yeah, got true. a chance to see them yesterday, so that was kind of cool, you know. For those people that like their family. You that's know, why I played the podcast, or your archive yesterday, that got kind of distorted after the last half hour, because I was ah. messing around with my card, but you know. Hopefully we're okay today. Yeah, I, 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 hopefully, yeah. I can't listen to the show and listen to this at the same time because it'd be an echo. So as long as I keep my fingers off my sound card effects, I'll be all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, there is that. Yeah. I yep. think there's an app for that. Shoot, Thomas, there's an app for everything, man. Yeah, yeah that. just about. You know. Except for me. I am the app. You are the app, indeed, yes. And the site, CosmicVeil.com, you know, for the book, Behind the Cosmic Veil, a new vision of reality, which we've been really talking about for quite a while now, because, I mean, there is really so much to this book. Uh, It is absolutely brilliant. And, boy, it's always great to hear from you again there, Thomas. You know? Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, always, uh, always a pleasure and an honor. Uh, Timmy, yeah. you can start, buddy. Okay, so what have you been up to, Thomas, since we last? <laughs> Not a whole lot, you know. Uh, around here anymore, uneventfulness is a is a a welcome state. Yeah, right. Yeah, especially you it's know. not. It's not officially hurricane season yet, is it? Oh, is my that... goodness, no. No? Although I think we're getting into it, uh, you know. Is that like it's... late summer? Like, uh, like uh... Uh, Normally, you see that kind of stuff brew up, uh, you know, uh, down here at least, July through September, something like okay. that. we got that's, a couple months yet. Yeah, that's the, the high probability. And uh, uh, we fare fairly well where we are. Um 
there are so many trees, uh, and the trees are not deeply rooted uh, down here and because they don't have to be right. uh, because of the water table. Mm-hmm. And everything is pretty much beach sand. So the, uh, the wind always blows a good portion of them down. It's, you know, like out west in places, uh, the forest clears itself out from natural forest fires before man intervene. Down here, it's hurricanes. Right. And so, you know, they take the power lines with them. And, you know, that's, for the most part, uh, pretty much uh, what the issue is. We really uh, haven't done too much with, uh, uh, you know, uh, property damage as such. We've been Mm. fairly lucky. So you're used to having four four or five days without power, I guess, right? Uh, We did... uh, uh, my wife and I did an 11-day stint Ooh, wow. one time without power. Wow. That had to be, that had to be hard. Wow. It is difficult, but, uh, you know, down here, you, you almost consider it uh, one of the costs of doing business, mm. uh, so to speak. So it's just part of it. Part of life. Yeah. Uh, you Balance know, like out the, the, the beauty of everything. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it's beautiful, too, if you think about it in a way, you know. I'm sure if you're up in space on the uh, International Space Station, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Or, or, you, or you live where I live and have this beautiful view of a dumpster, you know. <laughs> uh, I think anything compared to that. <clears throat> Actually, I did live down there, you know. Went to went to college, University of Miami, which is uh-huh. a further south than where you are, but. It was beautiful nonetheless, and I just remember how gorgeous everything was, you know, with the palm trees and everything. You know, you get a 65 Ford pickup, and the rust shines, you know. I mean, it was, it was uh, rather beautiful. So, you know, and Christmas, they would actually get truckloads of snow imported down so we could really? have snowball fights. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That was back in the day, though, you yeah. know. I don't know if they still do that for colleges or not. But, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to come down and visit you when it's not hurricane season. See, Tim, road trip, man. Yeah, yeah we got a couple God road trips coming <laughs> Yeah, I know. The last thing in the world you want to see is us. Yeah, yeah you've seen us right now. Why would you want to see us in person for it? You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> two, two uglies like us, who would want to see us in person? <laughs> yeah, I would just, uh, you know, get a knock on the door. It's, Dave's not here, man. <laughs> Dave? Dave. Dave's not here. Actually, that album came out when I was down there in college. No doubt. Yeah, I'm dating myself a bit, but, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got to say about that. That's funny. <laughs> I have a I have a friend that actually played that for him. He, he started laughing his butt off. Man, it's funny. Oh sure, Dave's yeah. not here. Dave, Dave's not here. Yeah, it. Yeah, Cheech and Chong. Yep, yep. Wow, takes me back a ways. That was weird. So are they fear mongering about you know the upcoming season? Are they starting to throw those darts of fear your way? The the uh, meteorologists, yeah. Oh well, they have they have no idea what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) They really don't have any idea where it's going to hit till maybe about eight hours before it does. 
Wow. Yeah, uh, that's that's true. Yeah, that was always my dream job, you know. I should have been a meteorologist. I could be wrong every day and still, still make mad money, you know. And, and you know, and nobody had ever complained about being wrong every day. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it was a little easier, except for storm season, to do the weather there. Well, upper 80s and then, you know, upper 60s at night. So this is your vacation mode, right? I, I'm yeah, I'm still in vacation mode. <laughs> yeah, I haven't talked about a serious thing yet. That's why you know. I'm, uh, how about you, Tim? You're not in vacation mode, are you? No, not really. No. I, well, actually, I'm always on vacation mode, but you know. <laughs> Just my vacation it's mode. It's vacation is every day, of the, every day of the year. For me. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know, here where I live, it's all hills and valleys. See, so. Well, I got that, too, here in Pittsburgh areas, too. So it's... Yeah. Well, I think it's even worse for us. I, I had the good fortune, and I will say that, you know, actually meaning it, to sit next to a meteorologist uh, once on a flight from Albany, New York, to Miami, Florida. And he was telling me, you know, expressly how uh, difficult it is to predict the weather here because there are so many hills and valleys in our area that you know you could you could have a forecast for one town and it'd be completely different for the hamlet of that same town you know because it's so drastic me it would be like uh, san diego or something you know where like every day it's you know uh 82 and <laughs> at, at night it's going to be 71 you know and i can i'd still make the same money as trying to predict the weather here where, you know, we could have, we could, it could be snowing and raining here and across the street, it could be sunny, you know, you just never know. Boy, I sure am in vacation mode. Uh, so, so Thomas Fusco, <laughs> um, anything, anything about this phenomenal book of yours behind the cosmic veil, we, we've, really talked about it quite a bit, but you might be in a specific mood to cover something in that book today. So that's my vacation-esque question. <laughs> <laughs> and the good news is, Chip, we are streaming. I listened to the stream on a website. Awesome. So okay. It's sounding good, good to today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Streaming is better than streaming, like which is what I would have done, you know, had I not been here. And nobody wants to see that. As I keep uh, my that, fingers off the settings, we're, we're good. Okay. <laughs> well, you can't streak sitting at the console. All you can do is flash. Well, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I've got my red bow going, so I'm moving around quite a bit. Even I see that. Seat. You have to go to the bathroom or something or what? Not yet. <laughs> That's a different kind of streaking altogether, though, I think. But, you know, we're... I'm, yeah, I am in vacation mode today. So, so Tim, what do you think, man? <laughs> <laughs> I think Tim was going to ask me something about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, uh, probably. going to, but I kind of, yeah, forgot. He's, well, he's fascinated by the weather, Tom. I'm, just so I'm you know. fascinated that I actually got a show today that, that we're going coming through real clear. I'm like, wow. Let's see. There you go. 
Well, m- might as well give them a, a good reason to have one in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Yeah, everybody really wanted to know about meteorology. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just so happy I'm dancing over here. You know. Yeah. Actually, See, I'm so happy got I'm, I'm streaking, or, or, as I sit corrected, flashing. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the listeners are so thrilled that it's audio only today. Oh, yeah. for them it is, but yeah. Yeah. Poor Thomas, he can see what Tim and I look like, you know. I yeah. actually scared him when he first got <laughs> I'm looking away. Because <laughs> you have to be able to concentrate on, on something good, you know. My first wife thing. is running from it. Well, yeah, kids do too, you know. It is what it is, you know. That's why we're in radio. Hey, you know what they say, crap happens, right? I mean, You're right, yeah. That's so what it's, they say it's on... Basically, your mic, they're... Uh, Thomas, whatever you want to go, wherever you want to go with us, the mic is yours. Oh, my. You're not even going to ask me a question, right? No, the floor is pretty much yours. You know what? I'll ask a question. You you did a couple minutes ago, Chip, but you you cheated. Well, no, because he wasn't really a question. He asked the same question that that I asked, which is anywhere you want to start today. What would you like to talk about tonight? Well, I I want I'm going to ask a specific question for you, and tr- only to try to pull myself out of vacation mode here, because you know we've been uh, I had a couple of uh, uh, of of friends on over the last couple of months since really the last time we spoke, okay. and th- there are a couple of kinds of uh, th- kind of things similar to what you write, not nearly as good, of course. But that brings to mind uh, different ways to explain or not explain, appropriately enough, uh, when something from non-locality appears uh, in our locality, apparitions, for example, or something of that nature. But I wanted to go closer to uh, the thought that our consciousness could have some sort of impact on matter uh, or energy, if you will. And... uh, a couple of people have mentioned a, a thing uh, called organ energy. I think it was William Wright came up with it in 19... That sounds familiar, yeah. 34. Well, he he was watching a plant die. You know, that's the kind of thing I do on a slow day, too. But, you know, he was smarter than I was. He, he noticed was something he kind of described as almost bioluminescent. This kind of energy that seemed to come off of this plant as it was dying... And ultimately reconnect uh, with uh, a protozoan or uh, some sort of new life, called it life energy, kind of like chi, if you will. Uh, And what he did was he found ways to uh, capture the essence of that energy. And he would put animals in these boxes that were set up. I think there was wool that would capture the energy and some sort of metal that would have it radiate around this box. Uh, So he would put an animal in that had some sort of cancer, eventually got to humans, had some sort of uh, cancer, actually found that it did have positive impact on the cell. In other words, it it was... I wouldn't say curing the cancer, but at least eliminating some of it. 
so, so yeah, he called it life energy. But he also found that there were ways where it could act as a negative also, you know, do more harm. Uh, so he had the positive and negative orgone energy. And there was another guy right around the same time, but in Russia, who gave another name to this kind of energy, called it torsion. Uh, he was in a concentration camp. It was, uh, I think, uh, back when Lenin was the leader, and he had this mistrust for scientists, especially if they weren't uh, really pushing the party propaganda, so to speak, and would put them in concentration camps. This Russian scientist was uh, watching bacteria grow. Notice it would grow in, in a spiral. And so he thought that this, this torsion or this energy um, was kind of like this spiral force. And it's not like it itself was energy, but it was a force that could have impact on matter, you know, it, it it wouldn't create atoms, but it might change the way that atoms moved, or uh, or became molecules, or or whatever. And both of these fellows thought that uh, consciousness, because our cells give off energy, and our hearts and brains give off energy. We're mostly made of water, and we do have this electromagnetic energy around us could have impact on this organ or torsion energy in a ways where our consciousness could have some sort of impact on matter, uh, not actually be a part of matter, and not like a string theory, but almost like a, a subliminal string type of vibration or frequency that could somehow impact um, energy or matter. Uh, and, your th and because some of that reminded me of, of some of your super geometric theory, mm -hmm. at least it, it, in a way, um, I just w wondered what, what your thoughts would be with regard to, you know, not an energy itself, but maybe a force of some kind that could maybe impact that energy. Now, for all these people that are trying to speak about consciousness as some sort of force or energy form. Well, when, when we're talking about energy, uh, this is a term, and you know I've talked about this before, mm -hmm. this is a term that's tossed around uh, quite liberally uh, in the alternative thought field or whatever you want to talk about, you know, yeah. how you would classify it. I kind of think about it as the alternative thought community. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Scientifically speaking, energy is a very specific thing. Right. So when we talk about these kinds of uh, torsion energy or orgone energy, um, you know, I'm cursed, you know, I'm very superficially uh, familiar with it in a cursory way, okay. just from having encountered it, uh, you know, during an awful lot of reading over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't find um, any way that these alternative energy forms, so to speak, well, forces, uh, not, not. Or, or whatever you want to call them, yeah. uh, you know, are defined in a scientific way that is consistent with the scientific definition of energy. Energy is a very specific thing. 
and so uh, it's difficult to place, you know, to critique it in any way. Mm. Uh, I mean, your basic energies uh, are forces. Uh, and those forces interact in ways uh, that sometimes cause, what would you call it? You know, well, they always do. They, they, they create some form of, form of animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like gra- gravity, for example, which we learned from you, was a repulsive force, not an attractive one. See, I still well, according to, to yeah, super geometric theory, uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a repulsive force. It holds smaller objects onto larger ones. And that's part of the model uh, of the theory. But uh, it's very difficult to, as I said, to critique some of these Mm -hmm. things that are being talked about. uh, Because we can't quantify it or qualify it. We, We don't know... Uh, you know, somebody observes a force and of some sort, and they give it a name of energy without going into great detail defining it. Yeah, or being able to replicate it in some sort of laboratory setting. Yeah, at least in when we're talking about zero-point energy, for example. That's something that has a, uh, a scientifically meaningful definition. And... You know, we have these virtual particles that are emerging from the background. Uh, And uh, this has to do with zero-point energy. But we we have an idea what those particles are. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is a particle of Orko? You know, uh, and that's my question. Mm. What's the particulate form of it? That's true. You know. How does it convey its force? Um, you know, if, if let's say like torsion energy, so to, for example, if this person is talking about um, some sort of a conventional energy field that takes on, <laughs> excuse me, that takes on a, a specific shape or a specific behavior, that's something different. Then we have to uh, think about, well, what is causing that particular behavior? Mm. Uh, and then uh, we have to consider where the uh, where information uh, plays a role. So if energy is taking some sort of a spiral form, that's a structure. That means there has to be information that is contributing to the creation of the structure. Mm-hmm. But even if it's too subtle for our own uh, measures, and, and by asking that, I also wanted to bring up another question I had. And then, you know, then I'm going to have T- Timmy ask you a couple of things. Because I uh, there was an article uh, recently where I think it was uh, CERN, uh, where they were uh, having neutrinos, these elusive things we, <laughs> yeah, we just found in blocks of ice, what, six months ago? Now they're, 
Now they're taking neutrinos and hammering them against each other. And they found that as these neutrinos, you know, as they shot them off mm -hmm. and were waiting for them to actually uh, combine and explode or whatever they do there, uh, they found that these neutrinos actually on their way to meeting each other uh, actually went uh, about three billionths of a second faster than the speed of light in doing so. Mm -hmm. um, and because three billionths of a second is, you know, I mean, again, we're talking about uh, these torsion energies and things that's so subtle that, I mean, you know, even uh, how do you measure, uh, we, I mean, have we even seen an electron? <laughs> yeah, we, well, we, we've seen what they do, but have we seen one? I mean, they, we're talking scales that are so small that three billionths of a second with a neutrino particle that was really elusive until they finally trapped some less than a year ago now they're combining them, but if it goes three billionths of a second faster than light, to what extent does that become uh, measurable enough to, to to break the standard model? You know what I mean? Well, I, and uh, you know, I think we're talking about something, uh, uh, two different things there. But we are, but that's me. Um, when we're talking about this faster than light neutrinos. Um, this is a uh, a station who uh, that picks up these uh, impulses from CERN, from the Large Hadron Collider uh, in Italy, and they've reported this before. And the first time they reported it, it found wound up being a computer glitch, a programming glitch. Now they feel a lot more certain about this right now, but. It's still, my understanding is that it still has to be duplicated somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is not yet past the peer review. Right. Um, is there such a thing as faster than light? Well, according to super geometric theory, there is such a thing as super light mm -hmm. or super luminous. Uh, that physical reality begins to materialize at that magic barrier mm -hmm. at the speed of light above the speed of light we're looking at something which is not quite yet material mm -hmm. so it would be interesting to see if they can uh, validate uh, you know these uh, the speed of these neutrinos right but I mean the sizes and speeds are so subtle that, you know, without this, you know, uh, $70 billion machinery, you know, it would be hard for somebody, say, in, in, in their uh, lab in Cleveland to, to uh, yes, replicate. Yes, that's, that's true. It's very difficult to replicate. Yeah. So uh, that's why I asked about... the question using these neutrinos as an example, because it's such a small scale of things and... and but, you know, when you get into subtle forces and subtle energies, you know, it would have to, in order to have a, a measurable impact on things that are so small, that, you know, that we need uh, something beyond an electron microscope in order to see them, you know, to what extent, uh, I mean, I, could, could, it, could it be measurable, you know? In, in, oh, yeah, it certainly is measurable. Hey Chip, I got a question. I got a question. It was this was something about um, 
black holes that was in the news at the beginning of April. Um, the article says the first picture of a black hole opens a new era of astrophysics. It's actually in sciencenews.org. I don't know, if, Thomas, if you've seen that or seen yeah, there, there was uh, when it came out, there was it was plastered all over Facebook. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah, you could barely uh, go through a dozen. Uh, uh, you know, entries in the new feed, news feed without encountering it somewhere. It was. Uh, it, it's saying that the supermassive beast lies in a galaxy called M87, more than mm -hmm. 50 billion light years away. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that, Thomas? Well, my thoughts about it are that it's very helpful mm -hmm. to have additional data, and that's with such a uh, you know an enhanced uh, photographic image is because. As we know, those are, uh, you know, they're basically computer generated and computer enhanced mm -hmm. uh, based on the data that's being fed into the computer. Mm -hmm. So we really don't have a quote unquote direct photograph. Uh, yeah. What we have is enough information where a computer can generate a photographic image, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, we've been doing for a long time, uh, uh, you know transmitting photographs from the surfaces of other planets like the moon and Mars and, you know, the outer planets, a computer takes the information and, and reassembles it into a picture. Could, could, um, these, could these black holes somehow be connected with an, an Einstein-Rosen bridge or could it be the same thing as an Einstein-Rosen bridge? Well, that's the thing. Um, <clears throat> well, it's, it's one of the things. The trouble is, and again, it's why it's so useful to have additional information, right. like a like a, a visual image, is that we really don't know what's going on inside of a black hole. Right. And we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. um, everybody takes for, not everybody, but a lot of people, people, especially in the general public, take for granted that the Hawking model of the interior of the of a black hole is the model of a black hole mm -hmm. and the reality is we don't really know right um last time i looked there were six existing uh theoretical models mm -hmm. for the what goes on inside a black hole right and you know hawking just happened to be the one that uh <clears throat> You know, uh, wrote a book that millions of people bought that sold seven million copies. Hmm. Uh, it was once quipped uh, by a commentator. It was the uh, the biggest bestseller that nobody ever read. <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just a hip and cool thing to do to have it on your shelf. You know, right. yeah. uh, <clears throat> I think it was called a brief history of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but because Hawking became a celebrity as such, scientific celebrity, his opinions on things became uh, more popular or prevalent in the public eye. So we really don't know what's going on inside of a black hole. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that about wormholes, about Einstein-Rosen bridge, that uh, is not evident in science fiction mm. where everybody sees it you know, right. oh, 
that's that's the black hole. You know, they were watching Deep Space Nine or something like that, you know, or, or a wormhole. Is that that is a tunnel through space, through space time. Right. Which means it's not this kind of opening, typically, that at least in the strict interpretation of an Einstein-Rosen bridge, which joins two locations in space-time. Mm-hmm. That it's not just this, this, this structure that appears and then disappears. There's a tunneling through space-time. And that tunneling would be observable. The space and time would warp or lens uh, around that tunnel so that it would be observable. It's not just this mouth that just opens up from nothing and disappears at nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are they connected? We haven't, we haven't observed the connections. Right. You know, unless one wants to accept the idea that they are connected outside of the space. space. Yeah. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But if we were to go to that point, then we would have to say all things are connected outside the physical. I'm seeing another article that says that the universe is expanding 9% faster than expected. Um, New Hubble measurements show, which, you know, we already know that it's expanding, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily know how how much or how fast. Mm -hmm. Because it has to. I mean, it's... Just the way it is. Well, the 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 momentum Mm. uh, of the Big Bang is only supposed to push the universe out so far. Mm. Okay. Based on what we understand, what we know, what we can calculate, Uh, the universe continues to expand in contradiction to that, Mm. and the primary contradiction is that the physical content of the universe is supposed to be generating sufficient gravity to hold the universe together. Right. Instead of allowing it to just to continue to expand expand out. This, uh, according to conventional thinking, is the expression of a force or an energy that is overcoming the entire gravitational content of the universe and is expanding out in in contradiction to that. Mm -hmm. The idea conventionally means that there must be an energy at work that is greater uh, than the entire gravitational content of the universe to be able to counteract it, overcome it. And this is the imaginary substance known as dark energy. Dark energy, yeah. That's what that is. According to my work, uh, in my model, the singularity from which the universe uh, uh, arose from never dissolved into the universe. This is the conventional view that the quantum singularity from which the universe arose from which the big bang emerged just simply kind of converted into the universe. According to my model, it never went away. Mm. Okay. That the singularity from which the big bang 
emerged is still emanating the universe. And it's expanding on that singularity, right? Mm -hmm. It's expanding out from it. Right. It's still being, it's still issuing forth uh, universal space time. And the problem that none of these guys address, and we've talked about this before, yeah. is the geometry of space-time itself. Uh, Einstein uh, demonstrated to us that space is a substantial field. It's a substantive field. It's not the empty nothingness that, that Newton thought it was. <clears throat> it can be bent. We know that 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 there's such things as space warps, space-time warps. We know that space warps around all objects. Mm -hmm. uh, so we know that it can be bent. It's a field. But as the universe expands, more space-time has to be generated to fill in the, the empty spaces. Mm -hmm. It's a field that has to come out of somewhere. And I mean, this is uh, this is what I talk about sometimes as 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 using a logic that's almost juvenile, right? That's almost childlike. Um, and in this case, this is one of those instances. It has to come from somewhere, because if the geometry of space time itself was expanding with the universe. All the material content embedded in the fabric of space-time, planets, stars, atoms, people, whatever, would all be being stretched out at the same time. Mm. Every, every bit of physical, or what Einstein would call a material point, every material point would be expanding with the fabric of space-time. And therefore, we would not be able to notice an expansion. We wouldn't be able to measure it because our measuring instruments would be expanding at the exact same rate as the universe is. Right. So it would look like to us like everything is staying the same size. So we know that the geometry of space-time is not expanding with the outer edges of the universe. More of the continuous spatial field is being poured into the universe from somewhere. Right. Uh, now we talked about this before where, and, and, and the lay person, uh, you know, general public are very shocked sometimes to hear, to understand that the established physics description of this is, well, the extra space time just appears. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean it. That's that's the well, yeah, official but it's line. also and something that we also discussed before that you brought up ever so brilliantly, you know, is uh, the layman would probably think of that singularity as that that little point that was what uh, one thirtieth a billion the size of an atom that uh, basically blew up into everything that we know or see today as the universe, but. To you, it, it, the singularity really was the space that spawned this thing, not the thing itself. Yeah, I've even yes. I've, uh, I've I've talked with the layman people, and I've talked to them about Thomas's theory, and they've even listened to, to it 
a few of you know our shows, and they're they're dumbstruck by by the theory. They don't know any you know they can't understand where Thomas is coming from because they just don't understand it's it's above their heads. But well, know. that's part of it, Tim. Yeah, and part of it is that it goes against conventional reasoning. Right. You know, imagine when Einstein first came up with the idea that a clock runs at a different speed at the North Pole than it does at the equator. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a that's a brain twister there. All right. You know, uh, they, it was said at one time that uh, there were only maybe 10 people in the whole world who were able to understand relativistic theory mm-hmm. uh, because it was so radical. Mm. All right. You know, that uh, there's no absolute velocity other than the speed of light. Every velocity is relative to every other velocity. Depends on where it's being observed and measured from. Mm-hmm. You know, that, uh, that uh, in a, uh, a train, uh, you know, th- uh, hypothetically going down a track at just below the speed of light, uh, where... A person shines a flashlight, uh, and inside one of the boxcars, and they see it normally hit the back wall, mm-hmm. and they're watching it as it's shining on the back wall of the boxcar. The observer standing by the track, looking inside the boxcar, sees that the beam hasn't hit the wall yet. Hmm. You know, you get all these weird paradoxical things uh, that happen in relativity. Uh, you know, parallel lines actually do meet. They meet at the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> because based on the observer viewing, looking down parallel railroad tracks, those tracks come together at the horizon. Right. It's not just a way of looking at it. It literally is that way. Which is what makes it so mind-blowing. Yeah. So, yeah, when some of the concepts that I talk about are, are very, uh, can be very difficult to grasp. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're so childishly simple. Yeah, yeah they That are. they're difficult to grasp. Mm-hmm. That people can't, you know, sweep the, 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 the room clean from all the garbage that's in there. Yeah. To be able to see the simplicity that's in it, like what we were talking about with uh, with the creation still emerging from the singularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that this eliminates is the need for dark matter or dark energy. Right. There's no need for it. The universe is still emerging. It's still in the process of being continuously created. Yep, it's still growing. So there's no need to come up with an, an, an artificial substance like dark energy to explain it. Yeah. Um, the other part of it is that it also perfectly explains where the extra space-time is coming from. Mm-hmm. Whereas conventional physics has no explanation for that. Yep. It's simple. Yeah. It's like you know, like a, a five-year-old could could would look at it this way. Yeah, it's childlike, like you said. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yet, sometimes but yet, the simple answer is the right one. Yeah, but yet they're they're still afraid of it. I've, I've showed people your book, and they're like, Ooh. you know, they want to go there, even take a look at it. 
Yeah, well, and, and they're way older than five, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've run into that, too. That's why I talk about the, uh, you know, the primal fetal positions and involuntary thumb sucking. And, yeah. You know, because it changes the world. Right, it does. It, it, it rocks their world. Uh, and um, it, it there's no payoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, exactly. what is what's in it for me to scr- <laughs> scramble my brains over it? Yeah. What do I get out of it? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> you know, even the paranormalists. I'm on interviews with, uh, you know, with uh, uh, people who run paranormal investigation teams. It's like, well, this is all well and good, but how does this help me to catch more EVPs? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> And really, I mean, that's that's basically that's what crazy. a lot of it's about. So, yeah. um, but that's okay. You know, it, it's all right. When I when I wrote my book, I knew it was not going to be a bestseller. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew it was only going to be for a small handful of people. Right. Um, and if you go to my, uh, uh, if you go to, uh, oh, where is it? Um, Amazon. Yeah. You see the reviews there. Uh, there's people who wrote reviews on it that basically said this changed my entire life. Oh, yeah. This changed the way that I looked at everything. This answered all the questions that I've been asking all these years. Mm-hmm. Those are the people I wrote it for. Well, that's that's exactly what it's done for me, Thomas. It changed my whole outlook on on, on everything. You know, I was I was thrilled to death to actually, you know, hear about you and hear about the book. I mean, I was just wow. Yeah, and, and every time we have you on, we learn something new. You know yeah, what? Yeah. What new thing I learned today is how much we actually have in common. And you would think on the face of it, Chip Reichenthal and Thomas Fusco having stuff in common, I don't know. I think they probably went to a different school. <laughs> they live in a different state, but you know well, we're, what? We're both breathing the same air. But. Well, there is that too. <laughs> Although mine's a little colder than yours is right now, but that's uh, that's beside hey, the point. Hey. But what I learned today that we have totally in common is that when I wrote my book, I didn't think it was going to be a bestseller either. <laughs> but, but Thomas doesn't drink Red Bull or that. Monster. I've though. only got so many mothers and fathers, you know, that are going to buy a copy of my book. <laughs> so well, that. I got I got cracking on the radio. I started, you know, contacting everybody and say, "Hey, this is published." You know, uh, you know, I talked to people who did, uh, you know, Christian broadcasts, mostly people that did paranormal broadcasts little bit of scientific broadcast and said, mm-hmm. hey, you know, let's um, let's talk about this. And you even found me on there. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Right. Like, with Whoa. our uh, with our buddy Randy, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. I remember him. That was a good, a good exposure for me, though. You know, I, I do take that from that. Whole oh, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to be entirely cynical. <laughs> you, know, you, want to. you know, but I knew that I was only going to reach a, a few people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Out of every hundred people, maybe I'll reach three. Right. Uh, you know, and that was enough for me. I, I, I wrote it for those particular people. I didn't 
write it for general consumption mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's quite a bit of a mouthful. It is, yeah. And and people don't want to know. They want to know what's in it for me. <laughs> you know, am I am I getting excited? Yeah. Am I getting thrilled? Am I getting entertained? You know, is it going to you know uh, help me grow? bigger and more tomatoes this year in my garden. Uh, <laughs> this is what they want to know. Oh, yeah. And what I'm talking about is is theoretical. It's theory. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's cosmological theory. So what? But it's proven theory, Thomas. That's the difference. Well, it, it's, it's, been it's not yet law. It's not proven. But so far, it has uh, it has handled successfully it's it held its own very well yeah. all the challenges posed to it and all the questions that are posed to it yeah when a question is posed about an aspect of the theory uh it answers it in a consistent way just like what we were talking about here you know this theory ties together for example what we were just talking about the expansion of the universe uh and the appearance of the additional space-time mm -hmm. field that is expanding or that is uh, is being added to. Mm -hmm. That there's more space-time in an expanding universe. And uh, conventional physics doesn't have an answer for either. One is says, Duh, I don't know. <laughs> and the other one just simply, the other aspect of it says, well, there's this uh, this hypothetical energy that we haven't <clears throat> discovered or measured yet uh, that is causing the other half of that. Mm -hmm. you and, know, and you uh, got you know guys like David Roundtree who was out there in the field proving your theory and testing your theory, and now Graham Smith is out there proving and testing your theory. So you you got you got some support out there. Yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I actually do have some support, and that's important. Mm -hmm. And the people who are supporting it are those for whom I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. I didn't write it for the average Joe. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's okay. Uh, you know, all I knew is it had to be written. Yeah. Uh, and... Trust me, you know, nobody's mind was blown more than mine when I came <laughs> upon this. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, were, we you, were you in like a, like a, a trance-like state, you know, like uh, Einstein or uh, when, when, when you initially came up with this theory? Well, I, I, that's something that uh, Einstein never quite talked about either. Mm -hmm. Einstein okay. always tried to parlay it uh, and peddle it. Yeah, as uh, relativity, as the logical uh, uh, culmination of all the knowledge that had an information that had been acquired up until his time, mm -hmm. he felt that if he had not discovered relativity, that someone else would have right. and have and would have done so in a relatively short period of time. Mm -hmm. But there's little hints. In Einstein's writings, uh, his letters and his articles that you can kind of see where, where, where it went. Part of it was visionary, mm -hmm. and he Sim didn't like to talk about that. Similar to mm -hmm. yours that we've talked about off air, Thomas. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I'm kind of the same way. For public consumption, I'm going to say here's the, here's the logic. Mm-hmm. Here's how we build this case. We take information that we already know, data, observations, to put it more accurately, observations that we already are aware of. And we say, given all these observations, what kind of a model of a universe do these observations uh, uh, create, draw out? Mm -hmm. And that's what supergeometry is. It's a model based on all existing observations, including paranormal observations. Mm -hmm. Uh, That encompasses them all. And it provides answers to the relevant questions uh, in a consistent way where the theory does not have to make exceptions to its own rules for certain observations where the same system answers all of them and then it goes on to answer so many more questions that were never posed to the original theory right um so yeah, there's 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 some meat meat and potatoes there. That's for sure. Definitely. You guys ready to take a break? Uh, yeah, almost. And okay. just uh, one quick comment before we do that. Uh, the book is called Behind the Cosmic Veil, uh, and we absolutely invite you to access the website cosmicveil.com. Yeah, you get uh, background on the book, uh, an excellent price on the book as well. Of course, it can be found on Amazon and other sites too, but we highly recommend CosmicVeil.com, Veil, V-E-I-L, for our honored guest, Thomas Fusco, and Behind the Cosmic Veil is the book, which we highly recommend. And don't forget our chat on Discord, Supernatural Realm Radio, to get your questions to our guests. Yeah. Discord. Yeah, is so maybe cool. all maybe one of all three of my friends are in there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You are listening to the Supernatural Realm with our special guest and friend Thomas Fusco. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to WCT.fm talk radio like no other. What is the supernatural realm exactly? Why do people have paranormal or mystical experiences? There's some science behind it they're not looking at. Why do some people have negative encounters and others don't? What are the best methods to use and is there some new truth to them? We'll ask these questions on the hit radio show, Supernatural Realm with Tim Roxbury, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with your co-host Chip Reichenthal. Supernatural Realm, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 7 to 9 Eastern, leading into Michael Vera's Late Night in the Midlands at 9, right here on WCETFM, because that's where the action is. Things go bump in the night, it's more likely your plumbing acting up than your dead uncle paying you a visit. Call Roto-Rooter for fast 24-hour professional plumbing, sewer, and now water restoration services. Unlike some of those other plumbing companies, you don't have to be scared when you call Roto-Rooter for help. Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Kindness Beyond the Veil. Even in the darkest realms and mysteries, good things happen. Kind, even loving things. In the paranormal, psychic world, x 
extraterrestrials, mystical healing, light workers, starseeds, things that have astounded us since the beginning of time, do have a Monday side to them. And we'll show you on Kindness Beyond the Veil every Monday, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Chip Reichenthal. Leading into Michael Barra's Late Night in the Midlands show at 9 Eastern, making Mondays worthy of looking forward to right here on WCETFM, because that's where the action is. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Welcome back to the Supernatural Realm. That was blighted me by science. <laughs> a little bit at, at the end of the uh, break there. Thomas, you there, buddy? Yep. Chip, you still yep, with us? right here, man. Awesome. Yeah. Gotta love Thomas Dolby, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my nephew actually took one of his classes down at um, Micah. Oh, wow. I'm a little jealous. Yeah. I always wanted to meet that guy. Yeah, so he got to know him a little bit. Actually, he didn't. Didn't like his class very well, but <laughs> oh, he did get to know yeah. him, though, so, which yeah. is kind of cool. I was wondering if he was related to the guy they named the sound system after, you know. Yeah, maybe. You never noise know. reduction, you know. Because it would be hard to classify his music, especially in a literal sense, as noise reduction. Since mm, that's true. He's taking nothing and making noise out of it, you know, <laughs> musically speaking. Yeah. I digress. Yep. You got That's a, awesome. You got a follow up for Thomas? Uh, yeah. Have you ever taken a class from Thomas Dolby? Tom. <laughs> You're asking me? I'm asking you, yeah. No. You're blinding us with science. I just thought it would be kind of a, a really cool. I'd love to be a fly on that wall, let me just say. No. I guess I guess he was an art, an art, art yeah, I guess he was an art instructor down at Micah. But. Yeah. Actually, you know, he had a song called Europa and I actually became more aware of that moon because of that song. Yeah. I'm still kind of in vacation mode here, man, you know. I thought I asked a couple of good questions last hour. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we actually want to tell Thomas this, if he wants to write any questions down for us. Uh, we actually have a a uh, theoretical cosmologist uh, in astrophysics down at um, Harvard. He's going to be our guest um, May May 30th. We're going to record a podcast with him. 
going to clean my thumbs off for that one. Yeah, Dr. Chen is going to join us on the on the uh, recording. So. Wow. Dr. Chen from Harvard, theoretical yeah. physicist? Theoretical cosmology, including early universe models, primordial density, cosmo, cosmic microwaves, and uh, dark matter and string cosmology. Wow. So... He received his Ph.D. from Columbia University in 2003. All uh, right. So yeah. he was then a, a Stephen Hawking Advanced Fellow in the University of Cambridge. So, yeah. That'd be, be Ask him if he believes in ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we'll do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then Bye. if he's whatever he answers, yes or no. Uh, tell him to, uh, uh, you know, to demonstrate his work. You know, it's like, yeah. well, why? Why or why not? Sure. I want to see how he feels about shadow people, you know, EVPs and stuff like that. Hey. Well, I think that's, that's you know. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if we're going to open that door, man. Yeah. Well, you, you, ought, you need to get to the first broad question first. You got to get over <laughs> that one. Okay. Yeah. There's this broad down the street from me. You know her. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I was pretty there's excited a, to get it. Question yeah. for you. Go ahead, Jim. I was pretty excited to get him scheduled, though. Yeah, that is that is very cool. Let's yeah. hope he shows. Yeah, yeah, he said he would. He said seven o'clock is a little too early, but uh, we're going we're gonna to record a podcast with him at nine. So. Wow, cool. And, and and again, Thomas, if you have any <clears throat> questions or comments for him, you can send them to me. Before, I appreciate uh, that. Um, that's a little bit tough because it's kind of uh, uh, yeah. you have to almost uh, uh, be able to move with the flow of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, as someone who's, uh, you know, uh, so entrenched in establishment physics, mm -hmm. you know, they have their stock answers. Yeah. Uh, and you have to be able to catch them mm -hmm. and say, well, what about this? Mm. And there's no way to, to preconceive that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that is true. Yeah, Thomas, and I, I wouldn't you, even try. Yeah. Thomas, I know you have other things going on on Thursdays, but you know, if you're free after nine o'clock and you want to join us, you're well, more than welcome to. You know. I appreciate that. Um, we'll see how things go. Okay, cool. But certainly you have uh, you certainly have questions that you can ask. Yeah, yeah, I do. But I mean, this is a big thing. It's the show is supernatural realm, mm -hmm. and it's it's great that this guy's coming on with all these you know all this heavyweight uh, credentials. It's wonderful. Yeah. What's he got to say about the subject matter? Mm -hmm. That's what you want, and that's what I would think. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of asking them about quarks, mm -hmm. you know, or, or something like that, or yeah. super string theory, how does it relate? How is it relevant? Mm -hmm. You know, so you get the guy to, if he's poo-pooing supernatural phenomena, then you need to find out, well, why? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and go like that, you know, hey, put him a little bit on the hot seat. Mm -hmm. Guy's got that many degrees, he's... He's used to being on the hot seat. That's true. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
If he doesn't believe in a supernatural or the paranormal with his connection with his work, then why not? You know, as you said. Yeah. Why, why, why is this? And, and why, what are people hearing? Mm-hmm. What are people seeing? All right. What have people been seeing for a very, very long time? Why are they all mistaken? Yeah. You know, why are none of those observations credible in any way? Mm-hmm. And then you see what's going on. Just want to know if he agrees with Enrico Fermi or not. You know? Yeah. I guess that that's that's the easy one to. Yeah, that yeah. he'll be he'll be he'll be interesting. It'll be it'll be an interesting conversation digging in, into his head a little bit. You know. Yeah. Anyway, that's my question. Okay, cool. And you don't even have to say, oh, Thomas Fusco posed a question. It's your question. You ask him. <laughs> yeah, okay. If yeah. if you guys aren't asking him that question on this show. Yeah. Then, or something uh, then, then you're both on vacation. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So yeah. Spiking your, your freaking yeah. Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough one of us is on vacation. Yeah, yeah that's too. right. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the weather, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, you should have been a, 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 you know, a weatherman, Chip. I should have. Meteorologist. Yeah. I'll ask them about neutron stars, though. For some reason, they fascinate me. I just, I. Like my new I'm sure stuff. he's a string theory and black hole guy. I'm sure. I'm sure of that. Well, you know, you and, never and, know. In multiverse, you know. I I think that I've talked to more cosmologists who are n- not string theory guys than I have that are. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Of course, they just come up with a different term for a very similar thing, though. It's but, it's kind of know. exciting. He's to, he's going to be the first other than Thomas to be actually a guest on this show. So. Yeah, I cool. Had a, a guy a couple of radio shows ago that actually invented the term uh, dark matter. Mm, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He had no sense of humor whatsoever. You know, <laughs> unlike Tom here. Tom, you know, we can we can joke with you know. Yeah. Again, <laughs> lots of laughs when we have Tom Fusco with us. You know, this guy. You know, I tried to. I tried all sorts of things. Couldn't even get a smirk out of the guy, you know. Yeah, we had a guy like that on not long ago, too, here, right? Uh, not like this dude. Well, this <laughs> guy, yeah, we asked him about the paranormal, of, yeah. and he, he didn't yeah. want a part of it. He yeah, goes, oh, t- wow. took life a little too seriously. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it, it is what it is, you know. So, we got another hour. What we got to talk about? I don't know. Neutron stars, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I don't know. That's a you know that's a that's a great question because we have to. Um, you were talking about, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but you're the one who wrote the book, so I've got a very general question for you. Considering that Chip here is still in vacation mode, kind of, <laughs> kind of, sort of. But but. Uh, but there, there is a part in super geometric theory, this, this area that lays above, and I'll use that word just for the purpose of the question, mm. um, this, the, the, everything that is or that we understand and know of as matter and where the velocity is basically the speed of light, you know, in general terms. But above that, there is 
something that you referred to earlier today as uh, super light, for lack of a better term. Super luminous, yes. Super luminous. Can, can you elaborate a little bit more on that in general, uh, especially for people who are tuning in that uh, have not had the good fortune of, of hearing you on this program uh, previously or have uh, read, you know, your wonderful book. It's on CosmicVeil.com, by the way. I'm CosmicVeil. Well, Super the, yeah, the idea is not uh, new, by no means. And I'll be the first to admit, and I've talked about it before, there's a lot of ideas and, and concepts in my book that are not new. Hmm. Some are. There's a handful of them that are. Uh, the What is new is having them all plugged into a uh, consistent theoretical framework mm-hmm. so that we can see not where not only where they are, but how they relate to everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and yes, some people think about the quantum uh, uh, realm and see it kind of because it's microscopic, so to speak. They see it as something that's underlying our physical reality. Mm-hmm. But if we are looking at velocities and seeing that the speed of light is the uppermost boundary of the physical realm, so to speak, then those velocities are, uh, are going upward. In other words, it's not an underlying realm. It's an overlaying realm. Mm-hmm. And that's a different way of looking at it than what, what is, is it is. typical. It is. It's kind of counterintuitive, but that really is the way it is. You're you're looking at it from a top-down point of view, mm-hmm. um, where there was uh, oh I forget um, oh I, I forget where the philosophical question came from. It might have been Georgia Tech or, or one of those uh, universities where the phrase was. Uh, Given a rock, derive God. Mm-hmm. And that's like a bottom-up approach. And kind of what I've done is given God, derive the rock. And that's top-down. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about an aspect of reality, reality being roughly... All that there is, right. every everything, its entirety, even the word everything is, is inadequate mm-hmm. because things are physical. So if we're talking about a non-physical aspect of reality, then we can't call it a thing. Right. Because it's not a thing. We can use words like entirety. Uh, reality in its in its entirety is more than what is just physical, mm-hmm. and this is a fundamental to super geometric theory. It's also fundamental to religion, and it's also fundamental to spirituality mm-hmm. that there is something that lies outside the physical. Right. 
So if the physical realm is embedded in the geometry of space-time, mm-hmm. which is four-dimensional, and we're talking about something that is above the physical, then it's a superset of the physical. Hence the very simple name supergeometry. If the physical realm is geometry, then what lies above it, a superset of what is physical, would be supergeometry. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little mental exercise. Uh, <laughs> And I think I might have talked about it before, uh, a tesseract. Right. And no, not, not, uh, come on, folks, not the, uh, the Avengers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, not Red Skull and, and, you know, the Nazis and Captain America fighting the Nazis <laughs> over the tesseract. It's not that. Mm, not even close. Um, it's a three, it's a theoretical dimensional figure mm-hmm. uh, take a line you know in Euclidean geometry uh, we know that a line has length but it has no width or, or height it's a one dimensional structure uh, it really doesn't exist by itself in isolation in the physical realm it's just a theoretical construct Right. So we take a line that's a one-dimensional object. And we're not talking about time here. We're just talking about spatial dimensions for the moment. Um, Take that line and square it to itself. You get a square. Now, a square has length and, and, and width. But it has no height. It has no depth. So a square, theoretically, is a two-dimensional object. Mm. Take a square and square it to itself, and you get a cube. Mm, Now, a cube is a three-dimensional object. It has length, width, and and height or depth. And that can be expressed physically in the physical realm. You can't truly express a line a one-dimensional line in our physical reality. You could draw a line on a piece of paper, but that line has width. Mm. You know, it also has substance, too, because it's got the lead of the pencil uh, embedded. It's made of the lead of the pencil. The line actually has height, width, and depth. Even on a computer screen, it can't be accurately rendered because if it was actually accurately rendered you couldn't see it (laughs) (laughs) it only has one dimension um without you know uh length width and and depth you can't see something take a cube square it to itself and you have a tesseract this is a theoretical four-dimensional figure It can be expressed mathematically, but it can't be expressed visually in three-dimensional space Mm -hmm. because there's no dimension in which to express the fourth. 
There's only three. So were we to actually be able to create a tesseract, all we would be able to observe in the physical realm would be a cube. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The rest of it would lie outside of our physical realm mm -hmm. because we don't have a dimension in which to express it. Uh, we have math that we can describe it, and people have said, oh, we've expressed, uh, we, we've demonstrated tesseracts on a computer screen. Nonsense. Mm -hmm. Nonsense. If you did that, then you didn't understand what a tesseract is. Um, so, can we express these things mathematically? Absolutely. Are they confined to the physical realm? No, we can't express them physically. Right. So there's a kind of an idea, way of looking at something that might be superluminal, that might lie outside of our standard three spatial dimensions, and yet still be not only a part of what is in three-dimensional space, but it's actually the same thing as what's in three-dimensional space. Just we can only see a certain part of it. Hey, uh, Thomas, can can um, psychic abilities or psychic impressions, can that be explained through your model? Well, we've talked about this before, yeah. and this brings in a, a vital uh, piece of the puzzle. And that is information. Right. When people are talking about psychic phenomenon, they're essentially talking about uh, gaining access to information that is not local. Right. That there's nothing physically connecting the source of the information mm -hmm. and the recipient of the information, kind of like in remote viewing. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we kind of believe that that occurs in real time. But there's no physical connection between the event and the brain that's receiving it that can serve as a conduit for that information, as a conductor. Mm -hmm. There's no light beam. There's no electromagnetic wave. Uh, you know, psychic phenomena has been observed inside of a Faraday cage which blocks off all electromagnetic radiation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no radio wave. It just happens. Mm -hmm. So here's information that is traveling from one place to the next without any physical conduit, without any local connection. And by local, I don't mean that, you know, the source of the information is a thousand miles away instead of local. Yeah. I mean, physically connected. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you were listening to a radio broadcast that was being broadcast from a tower, that's 20 miles away. That is being the information broadcast from that tower is being transmitted to your receiver by modulations on an electromagnetic wave. Mm. Uh, it's electromagnetic radiation that's carrying information in, in, in the form of modulations uh, 
on in its in its wavelengths and in, in, in its uh, substance, so to speak, for for lack of a better way to put it. So the electromagnetic propagating wave that's containing the information of the broadcast is connected locally to your receiver. As the tower broadcasts it, that electromagnetic wave is locally connected to the tower. So the tower, in a sense, is actually local to the radio. Because the tower is local to the electromagnetic radiation it touches it mm. the wave so it's acting as a conduit yeah the electromagnetic wave is a conduit okay it's a conductor which is probably better to say it it's a conductor of the information and so the information is local the uh, the the electromagnetic wave is local to your receiver mm-hmm. and it's local to the transmitter now, let's say there was no broadcast tower and you were still getting a, a station on your radio. Mm-hmm. That's non-local mm-hmm. because there's no conductor of the information that you're receiving that is local to the radio. This is what we mean by locality or non-locality. Right. And typically in science... Science will often use the same kinds of words that are used in common language, but there's something a little bit different that's meant by it when they use it scientifically. Mm-hmm. And locality is one of these uh, uh, concepts. So anything that's local has to be physical. There has to be a physical connection to have locality. Mm-hmm. Thomas, that's the same thing during a paranormal event. If if the if the resident is connected somehow to the things that are occurring in their home, I I watched on a show where the resident who lives in a home actually acts as the conduit for the information to come through. Yes, it could very well be. In other words, if you're if you're a uh, um, uh, a resident in a home and you see an apparition, right. you're seeing it because you have electromagnetic compression waves propagating mm-hmm. in the light band mm-hmm. that is conducting that information to your eyes. From the apparition. Mm-hmm. So you're locally connected. Problem is, where does the information that manifests the apparition come from? And so that's what makes, in, in my work, it makes paranormal phenomenon non-local. Mm-hmm. There is no local causality that causes the effect. Mm-hmm. The information is coming from somewhere outside the physical. Right. You know, if you're seeing an apparition of someone who could I- be identified as a person who lived in that house 100 years ago, 
That person's dead. Right. Their body is buried and rotted away. So their body cannot be a source, a physical source of the information uh, by which the apparition of them is formed. Mm -hmm. Again, this sounds very complex, but when you stop and think about it, it's again one of those childlike simplicities. Right. You know, you, you do away with all the complexities and just simply look at what's in front of you. <coughs> Because they tested that theory on when David was on Ghost Stalkers with his equipment. Yeah, they were working on it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, David said a lot of the work that he did either wasn't shown and, and or they did not give it any airtime to, to give any kind of explanation for it. Mm. It just, you know, here it is. and, and that's, that's a shame, you know. I guess, I guess they were more focused. To see. Yeah. They were more focused on selling cornflakes, I guess. Yeah, they wanted, they're giving the audience what the audience wants. Yeah. And what the audience wants is to be entertained, excited, yeah. is to be thrilled, is to be scared, is to be yeah. challenged. Scared. They don't want to know what's going on. It's the example I always say the person riding the roller coaster does not want to know how it works. Yeah. They don't want to be reading the manual to see how it functions and how it was built and how to repair it and service it. And all. They don't want to know any they of just that. Want, they just want the experience. They don't give a crap. They just want to from. ride the roller coaster and scream and have a good time. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Their woo-hoo moment. That's great for them, but it doesn't explain anything. Well, the thing is, what they don't realize is that, or they don't stop and think because they don't have to. You know, they paid their $3 or whatever it was for the ticket to ride it. That's all they needed to do. Without the other, there would be no roller coaster to ride. Right. But once the roller coaster is created, then they don't need to know anything about it. Yeah, nor do they care. <laughs> no, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. All I like to do is to... Make that clear for people. Yeah. So at least they understand a bigger portion of what reality is. Mm -hmm. um, there are many examples, of course. Uh, so anyway, where's this information coming from? Mm -hmm. So you get, uh, you know, a, a psychic impression, so to speak. That's always going to involve either words or some sort of a picture, some sort of an image in the person's mind. All those structures are a function of information. Mm. Where's the information coming from? If it's telepathy, then it's coming from another brain. And that's all well and good. But what's the conductor between the two brains? Mm. That's where the challenge is in the physical realm. And this is where a physicalist or a materialist will say uh, telepathy doesn't exist because you can't explain what the local conductor is. All right. See, uh, for a materialist, uh, all of what is physical comprises reality. There is no reality outside of what is physical. So, in order to 
help facilitate the understanding of this, uh, my book talks about a super geometric realm mm -hmm. that is not bound to time and space. And it is that information uh, where that is where the information is stored. It's like uh, Edgar Casey's Akasha. Mm -hmm. yep. The Akashic Records. That's what he he named it. Mm. Um, you know, Plato f called it forms. Uh, John, uh, in his gospel in the Bible, called it the Logos, mm -hmm. the Word of God. Um, David Finkelstein called it coherent superpositions of physicists of the 20th century. David Bohm called it um, uh, implicate order. Yep. Uh, so these are not new ideas. What's new about supergeometry is it puts it in a structure. Right. And shows how it's directly relinked to the physical. And so this information is being conveyed non-physically, or what I call super geometrically, mm -hmm. where, you know, if you picture the uh, bicycle wheel and you have all these spokes that lead up to the hub, and if you can imagine the outside of the rim and the tire is our physical reality. Right. And the hub in the center is the source from which all the physical emerges and materializes. I say that the hub is actually the still present and ever active singularity of the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. That the universe, the rim, and the tire is still emerging from it. Mm -hmm. And it's actually sustained by it. So, you know, if you have a hundred spokes... And the transmitter brain of the uh, tel telepathic message is on spoke number seven, and the recipient is on spoke number 123. Both of them are connected simultaneously by the hub. Mm -hmm. And the information travels up one spoke and down the other. That's the best physical model I've been able to come up with it so people can imagine it, visualize it. Mm -hmm. It's not accurate because we're talking about a bicycle wheel as a physical object. Right. Hmm. Uh, that's why in my book, when I talk about uh, this process, the actual mechanics of supergeometry, I have like seven or, I don't know, six or seven different diagrams, <laughs> each one showing a different aspect of it. Uh, so, because there's no one, just like you can't express, uh, a one dimensional line, uh, physically, you can't express this multi, or I shouldn't say multi-dimensional, but this super dimensional plane mm -hmm. of existence, uh, on a piece of paper, you can't do it. So I have to draw a number of diagrams to show different aspects. Right. And the, the bicycle wheel has been a pretty good tool. People kind of get off on that and say, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> uh, so eliminating all the kind of 
you know, people talk about residual haunts. Well, the information is somehow recorded on the background somehow. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. When there's no physical substance that can that possesses the qualities necessary to make that happen. You know, it's like you're like the uh, plaster and lathe that was on the wall that somehow recorded uh, the woman a hundred years ago walking down the hall <laughs> and has been, you know, replaced 40 years ago with drywall. <laughs> and suddenly the drywall is able to, uh, I got a data, data transfer from the plaster and lathe <laughs> and was able to uh, store it, uh, that information and rebroadcast it. And then actually pan it walking down the hall like it was a motion picture, mm-hmm. like a moving camera or a projector. It's just not there. So where does that information come from? The person whose image it is, their body is gone and rotted away. So the source can't be physical. <laughs> you know, and what in the physical local area could store that volume of information uh, that would be necessary uh, to recall into the into the figure of that person from a hundred years ago in the present day what material can store it what material can rebroadcast it the information is not stored locally I think it's kind of funny with this idea about the residual haunts to, uh, being stored on the local background. Yeah. Uh, the idea of materialism is so pounded into our heads. We are so indoctrinated by materialism that even people who believe in a spiritual realm, when they try to think about what could cause a residual haunt, their brain immediately goes to materialism. Mm -hmm. It must be something material in the surrounding areas. Yeah, or it's connected to limestone or something physical. Yeah, and this is why the scientists would say, "Eh, you're wrong, (laughs) wrong answer. There is nothing physical there that can do that. But then they make the, the mistake on the other end of the pendulum. And say, because there's nothing physical present that can do that, there is no such thing. Mm -hmm. So the answer is that the information is being stored non-physically. Oh, that makes sense. In a place where time is not the same element that it is here on Earth. Mm -hmm. You know, in the physical realm. Right. Where past, present, and future coexist. Mm. I was laughing. Somebody, a couple people, have been posting some picture of a of a vortex, and you know, <laughs> saying that you know the latest findings show that the past and present exist simultaneously. Duh. No crap. <laughs> you know, and and there's a physical expression of that. Yeah. But there's also a super geometric expression of that too. Mm-hmm. Uh. So this is what connects things together. It's just like entangled particles where they can, where information about 
partner A in the entangled uh, uh, pair. Mm -hmm. Even after the particles are separated, they could be separated by any physical distance. Mm -hmm. A change in the state of particle A mm -hmm. automatically, automatically changes it. instantaneously mm -hmm. alters the state, the state of, of B. Yep. Now, that's what we call infinite velocity. Right, but it's that still local, right? Because they're, you're no, talking about two particles. Right, but what's connecting them? Oh, let's, so say we, let's say we have an entangled pair of particles. Right. We split them apart, and we send each of them away from each other, hurling in opposite directions at the speed of light. Now, in order for information from A to get to B, it would have to be traveling twice the speed of light. Mm. Otherwise, the information from A would never be able to reach B. Connected B, yeah. <clears throat> hmm. If you've got two cars traveling away from each other at 20 miles an hour, if you threw a stone from car A at 20 miles an hour, you would never reach car B. Right. That stone would have to be traveling at 40 miles an hour. Just keep up. Yeah. And would have to travel faster than that to overtake car B. I mean, this is childlike simplicity. But yet people don't understand it. They can't grasp it. And because they have no motive. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, if they if they took a job that paid twenty miles, uh, twenty dollars an hour, and said, "If you learn this in a week, I'll give you thirty-five miles an hour." Everybody, or, or thirty-five dollars an hour. Everybody in the place would be a flipping Einstein. They'll, yeah, they'll jump on it then. Yeah. Sure. Show you know, me the money. All yeah. you have to do is this is one of my sayings. The dumbest man who ever lived, <laughs> the stupidest man who ever lived, when he was in pursuit of a woman, became an Einstein. <laughs> Every man pursuing a woman becomes an Einstein. You follow what I mean? Exactly, yeah. Oh, they come up with ideas and thoughts and ways of doing things that they would never do any other way. Yep, yep, yep. Because the, the need is so compelling. Mm. Uh, some of us have the kind of brains that just simply have to know why. Yeah, exactly. And just the knowing of the why is compelling. They got to know the answer, mm -hmm. which is how humanity advances. Right. Because we always have a certain percentage of minds like that in the population. You know, that says, hey, you know, how can we build a machine that does for us like a, what a horse does? Mm -hmm. Where everybody else would say, hey, that's dumb. We got the horse. Why do you want to replace it? <laughs> what are you, stupid? <laughs> it works just fine the way it is. <laughs> so they build a steam engine to say, well, gee, this is really, you know, this is great. But look at all, all we have to carry. Yeah, on the vehicle and burn wood and all this kind of stuff. Boy, there's got to be a way to do that. What's the answer? We know it's a way. The active imagination of the seeker is always also 
bound to faith. Mm. And see, that's a thing that people don't understand about faith. If you talk about faith, they say, well, that's a religion. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. Faith can be a religion, but every great accomplishment of humanity started out as part of the journey, faith. Mm-hmm. That somebody believed they could build something better than a steam engine. Yeah. You know, so then they came up with electric cars. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we need to, we could do something better than this. <laughs> and so on and so forth. Yeah. But they had faith in it. And, and this is who advances society. You know, the person who invented the car, Henry Ford, didn't care if you understood how it worked. Mm-hmm. Or didn't care if you even cared how it worked. All he cared is if you went and laid down your five hundred dollars for the Model A, yeah, exactly. or whatever it was. Yeah, That's I recently I recently about. saw a, a documentary on on the automotive industry and how you know Henry Ford became involved with you know the making of the automobile. Yeah, and he would never go Ford. past he would never go past the Model A. He didn't want his son even. You know, entertaining the idea to go past the the, the design of the Model A, and that yeah, was his downfall he had later. Yeah, his destination. Yeah, that was a downfall in the end. Well, he arrived. Yeah. You know, when when people arrived, they said, "I don't want to go anymore." Right. Hey, you know, there's even a better place over the hill. Mm-hmm. No, nah, I, I like it here. I'm going to stay here. This this has everything that I need. Mm-hmm. That's just human nature. Right. Now, Henry Ford's um, company developed developed the single-piece block for the V8. Mm-hmm. It could, at one time, a V8 could only be made in two pieces. Right. Block had to be two parts. Mm-hmm. And Henry Ford just told his engineers, you make this. Yeah. And the engineers said, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't care, you make it. <laughs> and eventually they figured out how to do it. Mm-hmm. So we have these advances, but it's always a small percentage of the population right. that are the dreamers, the wanderers, the seekers. And, you know, uh, the arrival at the destination is satisfaction within itself. But they all started out believing that they could do it, mm-hmm. believing it could be done. That's just like me. I started my journey at 23 years old, believing that there was a truth with a capital T. Mm-hmm. That I knew enough about observations of the universe that I could observe myself and learned in, in, in university. I said there has to be an order, a fundamental order to everything. Mm -hmm. There has to be a truth with a capital T, and that truth has to be reflected in everything that is in existence. Mm -hmm. And that was a belief. Yeah. No, it's not. And that's part of the visionary part of it. Uh, I proceeded in faith that it existed. Mm-hmm. So I was talking about earlier with Einstein. 
you know, part of what he did was visionary. He didn't, he played it down. He didn't want people to think of it that way because mm-hmm. he was in established physics, you know, he, he had to play with those boys. Yeah, he didn't, even want, he didn't want club. people, he didn't even want people to believe that there was a creator. He, he would admit that he believed there was a creator behind. Well, it's, actually he did write, write about the old one. Okay. Who he called the old one, and he called the lawgiver. Right. He believed in it. Mm. He just didn't believe in any worldly religion. Mm. He didn't believe in God as as described. He didn't believe in a, in a personal God. He didn't believe in any religion. Mm. But he wasn't an atheist. He was was what we would call a deist. Okay. He believed that there was a supreme Being. order. And that order had consciousness, intelligence, and intent. Mm-hmm. He believed it. Yeah. He said that the uh, he said once that the that the extreme atheist and the extreme religious zealot. He said both of those come from the same place inside of a human being. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And he said, neither one of them are capable of hearing the music of the spheres. <laughs> Thomas, that's Einstein. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And we, we have about three minutes left, Thomas. Uh, Thank God. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just being stupid. That's all. I always said well, at least it comes from the same place. Though. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, does yeah. come from the same place. <laughs> I never, I never in any of this, I never really lost my humanity, mm-hmm. That's and I never really thing. lost my down-to-earth simplicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and that, and that was necessary as part of my work. That was necessary. Mm-hmm. It, it has to be something that's simple. Yeah, that what I call uh, a person. With average intelligence, but with an above-average interest in the subject, mm-hmm. would be able to grasp it sufficiently to get the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah. And anybody listening can do that. Our honored guest, uh, Thomas, with a capital T. <laughs> Great Thomas. Uh, yeah. uh, Fusco with a capital F. The book is Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality, uh, a phenomenal book. We we so highly recommend it. Uh, Cosmicveil.com, uh, probably the easiest place to grab a copy. You know, you can find them on Amazon as well, but there's always a special deal going on. If you go on to Cosmicveil.com and grab yourself a copy of Behind the Cosmic Veil, uh, if I can interrupt for a second, Chip. Please do, bro. Uh, since we've last talked, I've made uh, a little bit of an arrangement oh. uh, so that um, we've been able to get the price down uh, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. No Sweet. kidding. Yeah. Sweet. So I don't. I no longer have to try to uh, get a better price on the book through my own links. You can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and grab the book. You know, it may still seem a little high for a paperback, but remember, it took three decades to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody else has. No. So uh, if you have that above, uh, above average interest in the subject, you know, you can go to Amazon and read some of the reviews and see what you think and, and 
you know, go for it. Yeah. Well, that's excellent to know. See, excellent to know. So, yeah, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and Cosmicville.com for the book. And and it's worth every penny. And and it's excellent to know that CC, our our station producer, said that we are streaming and we sound very good tonight. Oh, that's that's, nice to know, too. That's to know. See, the good news just keeps on coming. <laughs> I want to. I want to let the listeners know that uh, Thursday, uh, and this this coming Thursday, we have Virginia Rose Centrillo uh, wow. as our guest. She worked with Mark Kies, uh, uh you know, along with his paranormal team, the Pennsylvania Paranormal Association. So she's going to yeah. join us on Thursday. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I absolutely love her. Virginia Rose Centrello is phenomenal. Uh, one of the best mediums I've ever encountered in my life. And, you know, uh, and she's worked with Mark Kies, and, and there's something very current and topical with regard to their collective work that we'll probably be talking about here on Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, WCET.FM at latenightinthemidlands.com. Speaking of Late Night in the Midlands, the great Michael Vera is up next with Late Night in the Midlands. Wow. How, how about that for a segue there? <laughs> yeah. I want to mention, too, for the listeners, our podcast can be, or actually, our archives can be found at Cast... Cast... Cast I can't remember. <laughs> uh, he figures it out, we'll let you know. <laughs> well, Radio FM and CastBox, and also... Uh, Google Podcast and all, and the Paranormal Radio app. Uh, all the archives are listed there. Wow. I think we're up you to like brother. 80 or 90 on there wow. currently. That's so. a beautiful thing. So beautiful. your show, you want to talk about your show and your guest this coming Oh, Monday? sure. Yeah, uh, I have a show here on this very network Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern called Kindness Beyond the Veil. Or we talk about uh, paranormal, supernatural, metaphysical, extraterrestrial, all sorts of wonderful things like that. Uh, but to show that there are ki- kindness and benevolence and love-based sides of things, even in the darkest of realms. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll take some fears away from you for a couple hours each and every Monday right here from 7 to 9 p.m. on Kindness Beyond the Veil. Scheduled guest is Andrew Rez. Well, we've had here on this uh, here show, uh, he was a former Brooklyn firefighter who's okay. had some very interesting paranormal and extraterrestrial encounters. He's a beautiful man, and he'll be coming to us from Melbourne, Australia very cool. uh, when we talk to him on Monday on Jimmy. Kindness Beyond the Veil right here on this network. Jimmy. Thomas, any closing comments? We've got about two minutes left. Anything you want to say to the, our listeners? Oh, my. Um Everything is not what it seems to be, (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of what you hear in the alternative thought community is a lot of malarkey. Mm -hmm. Malarkey. Uh, Yeah. That's a beautiful word, especially for our beloved friends at the FCC. They like words like malarkey. Yeah, it's a good word, but, you know, uh, just... Think about these things for yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of these guys are peddling something. Mm-hmm. 
so just keep it in mind. Yeah. They have to keep peddling in order to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. uh, my bills are already paid, so I don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. And speaking of bills, we got to give the server to Michael Vera. The great uh, Late Night in the Midlands is up next, right here on WCET-FM. We'll be, we'll be uh, like I said, we'll be back on air with uh, Virginia Rose Centrillo on Thursday, and uh, it's time for us to go. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Just don't touch that dial. Michael Vera's up next. Good night.